Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. They know the ins and outs of everywhere we're going. They will protect you. Horses, run! And they just like, <laughs> block. I was like, what? <laughs> I feel like I got a great break on a used car. <laughs> I, I, I thought that, was, I, that was a great, great quote. <laughs> this is war, Marcus. He's going to the bathroom. Are you in his house, you little psycho? <laughs> Get the f- get out of there! Look, it's a giant womb. Yeah, no, no. Hi, I'm Mike Field. <laughs> Mid coffee drink. And I'm Mike Butler. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of 150 episodes for your listening pleasure. Woo! Yes, indeed. The Ric Flair Woo is returning. Oh, yeah. Unbeknownst to me. <laughs> don't know why you're doing that. You think you'd get rid of it? Did you really think you'd get rid of it? Did you really think you can get rid of me and my woo? <laughs> What's going on, man? How was your week? Oh, uh, it's going. Uh, it's going okay until I uh, accidentally sent a package back to 1357. You know, uh, it turns out my package didn't do well back in Castle Guard. Yeah, that's what. Fragile. Apparently, they couldn't read the word fragile. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing today? We are doing timeline based on Michael Crichton's original novel called Timeline. I read this book. I did as well. I, I, love not, this I do not remember it. <laughs> uh, so timeline. While working at the site of an archaeological dig, Professor Johnston stumbles into a wormhole and plunges back in time to 14th century France. That's not completely correct. Mad scientist Robert Doniger, eh, who accidentally created the wormhole while developing a teleportation device, eh, sends the professor's son, Chris, and protege Kate back in time to retrieve him, plus others. Unfortunately, their rescue mission is sidetracked by a bloody battle between France and England. Does they go back to 14th century France? What are you talking about? They do, but... It's 14th century France. Here's, here's what's wrong. Uh, he didn't stumble into the wormhole. Uh, he purposely went into the wormhole. It wasn't right. at the dig site. It was because the person funding the dig site had a time machine. Uh, Doniger isn't a mad scientist. He's kind of an asshole uh, company uh, CEO who has scientists work under him. It's not really a teleportation device. It's a fax machine. Uh, they always make a point in saying that, both in the movie and in the novel. Well, can we get to like the facts before you start talking about the discussion of the movie? Uh, there's so many. <laughs> it's, uh, it's 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 the summary, and right. and plus they leave out uh, Gerard Butler's character, who's incredibly important to the movie. They only list uh, Paul Walker and Francis O'Connor's characters, well, who are not as Paul important. Walker's the face on the on the the first face you see on the poster. So he's the he's the draw here. Butler. I understand he's the draw, but he's not the main character. He's by far the main out of the out of the group of them. Timeline has a runtime of 116 <laughs> minutes, rated PG-13, production budget of $80 million. Release date came out Wednesday, November 26, 2003, so it is a Thanksgiving release. And it's opening weekend with all those four, with those five days or four days of movie watching, $8.4 million. Uh-oh. <laughs> Domestic, 19.4. Uh-oh. And worldwide, <laughs> 43.9. Oh, big time flop. Oof, oh, that's yeah. not good. Production but company was Mutual Film Company. Cobalt Media Group, Donner's Company, and Artist Production Group. And it was distributed 
by Paramount Pictures. So this movie was, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to write to the director, but it was released. Uh, let me give you the other films it was released against. Oh, yes, please. So Wednesday the 26th and a wide release for the Thanksgiving weekend, you had The Haunted Mansion, the Eddie Murphy comedy. The Missing, which is with Kate Blanchett and Tommy Lee Tommy Jones. Jones. Yep. And Bad Santa. I'm sure a lot of people know about Bad Santa. You also had in a limited release in America, which is very good. The Cooler, another decent film. And The Triplets of Belleville, which is a, I want to say an Academy Award winning animated movie. I believe it won the Academy Award for Best Animation that year. Okay. You don't know? I have no idea what that movie is. I'm sure somebody's about to text me when this episode airs and be like, <laughs> you are correct or you are wrong. Uh, Friday, uh, December 5th, which is the week after, you had a wide release of The Last Samurai, a movie that we covered for, for Forgotten Cinema Butler. Right. And Honey, a movie we have not covered for Forgotten <laughs> Cinema Butler. And then in a limited release, you had Pride and Prejudice and The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, the extended edition. Correct me if I'm wrong, Butler, but I believe this extended edition comes out this week. The following week is the second film extended. So. And yep. then the third one is renew, newly again. released, yep. right? Yep. So, okay. The week before, the Friday the... November 21st, you had a wide release of The Cat in the Hat, starring Alec Baldwin and Mike Myers. Oof. Yes, indeed. At Gothica, starring Halle Berry, which was, eh, I don't remember a lot of it. I don't think I've seen it. It's eh. And then in a limited release, you had 21 Grams, which was okay as well. So not a big time. That Thanksgiving weekend, it's Kinda not close. a big weekend. I mean, The Haunted Mansion is probably like Disney. And I'm sure That's that was like. Draw, yeah. And they're redoing that. It's supposed to come out next year, I think, again. Another oh, really? remake of it, yeah. And I know Bad Santa is a hit, but I don't think they were expecting that. Bad although, Santa's a sleeper hit. Like a although that was, it was a Thanksgiving release, so maybe they had it, maybe it tested well. So, yeah, not really a huge, huge, uh, huge opening weekend or huge in terms of like its competition, right. I guess. This was probably this was supposed to be the big, big film. film. Yeah. yeah. This film was directed by Richard Donner, who has done The Omen. Superman, The Goonies, Maverick, Radio Flyer, Conspiracy Theory, and all the Lethal Weapons. Just in case you didn't know. Mm -hmm. Written by Jeff McGuire and George Nolfi. It was also as an uncredited rewrite or uncredited draft by Frank Capello. See, I also read that this was a Crichton script. Well, I don't we'll get into that because I have a huge note that had a copy and paste about this film that deals with the behind the scenes of the movie. Right. And I know I've got a couple Crichton notes, but he is not listed as he's only listed listed as as based on the book. Yeah. So I don't know, to be honest with you. But I do know that Jeff McGuire worked on it and he was nominated for an Oscar for In the Line of Fire. He's also written Gridiron Gang and the story for Victory, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, George Nolfi has done Ocean's 12 in terms of writing. He's written and directed The Adjustment Bureau, which is something we covered a few seasons ago. Yep. And he's also done the recent Apple Plus movie, The Banker. I don't know if he directed it. He might have, though. I think he did direct it. Uh, Capello, with his uncredited draft, he has done Constantine and Suburban Commando, to name a couple. Constantine, we did on the podcast. We did. Cinematographer was Caleb DeChanel, who was nominated for six Oscars, and they are for Never Look Away, The Passion of the Christ, The Patriot, Fly Away Home, a movie that we did, Butler, The Natural, I love that film, and The Right Stuff, another good film. Composer was Brian Tyler, and we will get into the note about the other composer. <laughs> uh, but Brian Tyler finished it, I guess. He has done Scream, the recent Scream one. I know it's called Scream, but I'm going to call it Scream 5. Frailty, Fast and Furious, which I believe is the fourth one. Yes, I think that's the fourth yes. one. And Iron Man 3, edited by Richard Marks, not the singer. He has been nominated for Apocalypse Now, Terms of Endearment, Broadcast News, and As Good As It Gets, he also edited The Godfather 2. 
And then you had three producers. You had Richard Donner and Lauren Schuler Donner, obviously a husband and wife team there. And then Jim Van Wick. Uh, Richard Donner has to, uh, I'm trying to give you the stuff that he produced that he didn't direct, such as Delirious, Free Willy, Demon Knight. He actually did Bordello of Blood as well and mm. Any Given Sunday. And Lauren Schuler Donner has um, produced St. Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, Volcano, and Deadpool, to name a few. And Jim Van Wick has done Assassins, 16 Blocks, Armageddon, and Swordfish. Um, one quick note, uh, Richard Donner did pass away last year, so uh, rest in peace, sir. Uh, that was, uh, I was pretty bummed out when I heard that. Yep. All right, so this movie stars Paul Walker as Chris Johnston. You should know Paul Walker from Fast and Furious franchise, Pleasantville, Varsity Blues, and Joyride. Obviously, he passed away. It's going to be 10 years ago in a year, 2013, I know. Too bad. Frances O'Connor as Kate Erickson. She's in Mansfield Park, AI, The Conjuring 2, and then the TV show Mr. Selfridge. Gerard Butler as Andre Merrick. Uh, Merrick? Yeah. Merrick. Yeah. Uh, he was in 300, Den of Thieves. They're also doing a sequel to Den of Thieves. I also recommend Den of Thieves. I actually really dug that movie and I didn't think I would. You should put that out. on Forgotten Cinema? We should because I remember watching, I was just like, what is this? But like, I kind of really liked it a lot. It was, he's really good in it. Um, you also had rain. He was also in Rain of Fire, which I totally forgot. But right, so we did. And Olympus is Fallen, which we both like. We just don't like the sequels. <laughs> I like London is Falling. Is all right. The third one is garbage. I thought which one was the third one? No, third one. Third one is Angel has fallen. Angel's fallen is terrible. I just thought London has fallen relied too much on CG. It did have too much yeah. CD, but it did have some good action. I think Olympus, Olympus has so much good. Just I think Olympus' phone was kind of a surprise. Yeah. I think that was part of it, too. Uh, Billy Connolly as Professor Johnston. He is the father of Chris Johnson in this film, played by Paul Walker. Connolly has been in the Boondock Saints. Uh, he was in a, a voice character in Brave, and he's from the TV show Head of the Class. I remember that because he used to watch Head of the Class. And then Howard Hessman left head of the class and then Billy Connolly took over. So it was a little weird, but he was whatever. Uh, David <laughs> Thulis as Robert Doniger. Doniger? Yeah. Yep. Uh, you might know him as uh, Lupin from the Harry Potter series. He's also in War Horse and Total Eclipse. And Dragonheart. And Dragonheart. Because Dragonheart was a medieval movie. That's true. And it was a few years before this. So I thought true. that was interesting. He also met his partner, Anna Friel, on this movie, who plays Lady Claire. She is in the TV show Pushing Daisies, which I love and you should watch if you haven't seen it already. I don't know why you're laughing. Stop pushing your agenda. Pushing Daisies is fantastic. <laughs> Uh, and for everyone that has seen Pushing Daisies, this line is for you. I love you, Shovel. All right. Uh, she was in the 2009 movie Land of the Lost and the movie Limitless. Neil McDonough as Frank Gordon. He's in the TV show Band of Brothers, a fantastic show. Mm -hmm. Minority Report, which is an upcoming episode of ours. And come on, brother. Hit me with the Trekkie he's in. Oh, he is in. A, he's got a cameo appearance in Star Trek First Contact. He does. He's again he's, with his hair hidden. No, no. His hair is. No, he's, he's the one that gets. On he's show. the one that gets uh, the he Borg. Gets a, the Borg thing, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I, he is, looks weird when you don't let him have his natural, like super blonde hair. Is it blonde or is this gray now? Is it blonde? I think it's still just like super yeah. bleach blonde. He's just got like super blonde hair. Right. Matt Craven as Steven Kramer. He's in Tin Men, A Few Good Men, Crimson Tide, and Disturbia. Ethan Embry as Josh Stern. He's in the TV show Gracie and Frankie, the movie Can't Hardly Wait, and Empire Records. Michael Sheen as Lord Oliver. I forgot he was in this movie. He's in Underworld Evolution, the TV show Prodigal Son, and he's also in the Twilight series for those who are fans. He plays Aro. I think that's right. I don't watch the show, the movies, so I don't know. He's in the Underworld series as well. I just said Underworld Evolution. Oh, oh maybe if you listen to Well, he was in more than just uh, Evolution, right? Wasn't no, he was the one that was where they were talking about how he was in the, was Evolution the first one? No, he's in the one that was all flashbacks. When they've discovered so the third, that's the third one. Destroyed each other, yeah. Or the second one. Wasn't he also in a flashback in one of them? No, I don't remember, man. There's, so, there's. He's really good in the one with uh, David Tennant. I like all of them uh, up until they omens. replace her, or good omens, and then she comes back, and I'm just like, eh. yeah. Good omens is good. 
Yeah. Good Omens is they're actually doing a season two. They're shooting that now. Lambert Wilson as Lord Arno is in this. He's the Merovingian in the Matrix. It took me like I'm watching when he pops on the screen. I'm like, oh, this guy looks familiar. Who I had to look him up guy? too. And then as soon as you see, it's his, the Merovingian's his picture. Uh, yeah, like, oh, well, that's probably yeah, that's what He's one of my about. favorite parts in the newest Matrix when he pops up and he's just like a, a homeless loser. I, I love the Merovingian. And he's just like, oh, you ruined me. <laughs> he's also in Sahara, uh, Catwoman, the Halle Berry Catwoman, I believe, and Babylon AD. And then Martin Kasalkis is in this movie. He plays Sir William DeCare and Decker. I guess he's two different. He's the same character. He changed his name. He is in Triple X, Ian Flux, and Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. A lot of people in this film, which mm-hmm. I didn't really, I didn't really think of. I didn't really, you know, consider that or remember that. Maybe that's the right. best word. Okay. So now I'll get into your complaints about the film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why don't we talk about the, let's talk about the, the Crichton stuff, the writing. Okay. So the note I have is that, he offered up the movie rights for this film for free. Yep. Under the condition that the movie had to enter production immediately. But he also, I don't know if this was contingent on this movie, right? You know, I'll give you the thing for free, put it into, put it into production right now. Right. He has a back end deal that is on the basis that his script is used in the movie. So I don't know. Just the fact that he didn't get credit doesn't mean it didn't use his script as the basis. And then everybody else just kind of rewrote. Right. 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 So, I mean, maybe that's I'm it. sure he got paid. But the other note I have for this, and I, I, when did Congo come out? Way before this. Okay. Way before So this. he hated this film. And, beca- and we can get into, there's a lot of difference between the book and the movie. And, yes, they, and I have a huge note about how they changed a bunch of stuff. But he hated this adaption, adaptation, excuse me, so much so that he wouldn't let any of his books be licensed anymore until like up until the time when Spielberg bought the rights for Pirate Latitude, which obviously has not happened. Um, and my quote is like, but he was okay with the Congo movie, like Congo's terrible. I, I, I mean, depend. I don't. I don't know how this is. I don't know your thoughts about the film. I know my thoughts, but whatever they are, I think this is better than Congo. Anything. So than I don't understand how like he lets Congo slide, <laughs> and this one is the one that breaks the camel's back here. I don't know if I've read Congo. I have. I've read a. I actually because Crichton was when I was what. It was, he was hot in the 90s, 80s, 90s. Like I was like, I read most of his books, most of his books. I've read, read a ton, but I don't think I read Congo. And but I could, because I hated the movie so much, I never read the book. Right. Um, I should go back and read it just to see. Well, you if you want to go back and read his book, I always recommend In Case of Need, which you wrote under pseudonym. Yeah, I never wrote it. That's my favorite Crichton book. I've never read. I read The Andromeda Strain and I started after that. Yeah. So his Michael Crichton books. I never read any of the doctor books he did. And this is technically our second Crichton movie that we're doing. It is true. But not really. It's really the first. Not really. Because really. yeah, we obviously have talked about this before, but our our test podcast episode to see if this would fly was fear. And it was so bad that we'll never show it. We'll never play it again. <laughs> but that was our first con- our first uh, movie. Yeah. So I didn't understand the note about like, like uh, I'm never going to give my well, my books out again. It's like, but you, but you're okay with Kondo adaptation. Kondo might not have used this script. Maybe it still ad- adapted his book. I got to read Gongo the novel, but I mean, he's had some novels since timeline that would have made cool books. Prey would have made a cool book. His older books. I wasn't a huge fan of, like I wasn't a fan of airframe. Um, airframe was right. Yeah. I just, the pirate one I didn't read because I knew it wasn't him. Uh, it was part him, the part Latitude's someone else. Book, yeah. Cause it's not, it, you read it. And even though someone else worked on it, cause he passed away, I don't think they wanted to work on it too much. And it shows it. It reads like an outline. I just, yeah. It's I, short. Yeah. But that's because it doesn't have as much of the extra, historical stuff when Crichton puts out a book it's like he puts so much scientific fact and analysis and history into it. sure you feel like that's true even if it's not 
Well, I will Pirates s- doesn't have as much of that. Only to, to counter that point, I will say that, yes, like Jurassic Park has a lot of that. But then at some point, he started writing books like screenplays because The Lost World is completely written differently than Jurassic Park. It, the Lost World is an adventure it, story. Right. For sure. But yeah. he, a lot of his books ended up starting to become more visually based. Like I could picture them as movies more because I think that's how he was writing Lost them. Lost World is absolutely something, a visual book. And that's not a knock. That's just how it was. Yeah. Timeline is a little bit more scientific again. Timeline's got a lot of the original Jurassic Park like breakdown of mm-hmm. You read a chapter and all of a sudden this chapter is science. The next chapter, which they kind of do in this movie, like the stuff that where it goes back to the present. Right. Here's how they're rebuilding the fax machine. The novel had a lot of that where it's like, all right, now here's again, my theories on how time travel works. Yeah. Well, I mean, with most time travel films, you have to set up those rules. It's just to kind of in a comparison, like I'm okay with how they set it up in here. I prefer this than having to watch a movie like Avengers Endgame. And I can't know the other movie because they do it there too. But like, and referencing back to the future as your basis for time travel. Like, I hate that. Like, don't reference pop culture movies as your basis, as your basis for, for a movie. Travel. Give me yeah. some real science or give yeah. me, at least give me something to be like, okay, fine. That's what you're saying here. Because I can't stand when movies do that because that's, that's cheating. And that's like, come on, that's stupid. That's I, so stupid. I never liked that. I like timeline. See, in the novel though, I believe that what they do with time travel is that while it is France 1357 or whatever, it's also, or 87 that the novel had. It's like a few years. I have a list of the differences between the movie and the (laughs) book, not to steal why the book wins a shtick here. Sorry, Laura. (laughs) But I believe in the book, even though it's France from the past, you're not really going back into our time. The wormhole transports you into an alternate reality. No, that's not what happens. That reality happens to be lined up with ours. No, that's not, that's not in the book. It's, it's your time traveling in the book. In the book, it's real time. Tra- I yeah. It's an alternate reality. No. That is just so close to ours. It's basically. France no, 13, in the book, so. they can go anywhere in the, in the movie. Oh, right. Yeah, they, yeah. They, you no. can go to any part of Castle Guard. Castle Guard's not a real place. The Battle of Cascard is not a real historical event. It's just they a made it thing up. from the right. 100 years. War. Right. Right. Um, so no, no, they can time travel because in the book, not to jump ahead. Uh, Donner like, sends people back to weird parts in time. Donner to to kill them. Yeah. Like, so when, when unwanted uh, employees or people that are causing them trouble, give them a hard time, they'll give them markers and send them to like Pompeii just before the thing explodes or the, uh, the massive earthquake in Japan that no happens. No proof that anybody was really. There. Right. So they can send you anywhere they want to in the book. And I definitely think it's the reality that they live in. I don't think it, I mean, reality might change. I haven't read it in so in long, there. but I thought it was an alternate reality that's so close to our own. Well, that's, well, anytime you send somebody back in time, you're changing the, the I reality. Think that's that, how the it, book kind of got around. That. Right. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. But I don't that. remember. I, I'd have to read it. I haven't read it since what, high school. I, I was not, in high school in this game. Not so. to go back to Back to the Future, but Back to the Future Part 2 talks to you about how it skews the timeline, how we, they skew it because they go back. Biff goes back and gives himself the book. Oh, I know. And, and then he, the don't you remember when Doc Brown explains that? I think that, that might be what you're thinking of. That kind of reality I mean, changing that's, because that's kind the of past has the been Star changed. Trek series right. like the new movie series is the new universe because right. they went back and changed that part of time. But. I, I mean, that's what I remember, but I could be, like I said, I read this book 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. I blew, I blew someone's mind at work the other day because they were like, oh, could, imagine if time travel exists. And I was like, maybe it already does exist. And you don't know that already. They've been changing. He's like, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, awesome. But time travel, I, I mean, I, I have a story that's about time travel paradox. It's available on Amazon. It's an, <laughs> it's an available, it's short. Uh, but, um, but when I was writing it, I had to like stop and like, think about, okay, wait a minute. What am I doing here? Because if I change this, this changes. And I had to write 
as a in in the, I know you didn't read it, but in the uh, in the chapter, once they do something, I had to like the train of thought of the main uh, character had to end, and I had to start up a new one. Like like he didn't like not referencing anything that happened prior because history changed. I didn't do that whole thing where like there's that two minute mind bubble thing where your your brain is still adapting like they do in some movies. No, I was just like it changed. So. But again, you're setting up the rules of time travel and, and whatever you put together. Yeah. Well, time timeline clearly that is like you can't change history kind of a thing. That's what the movie sets up. Well, they I set- think the movie sets up that. I mean, they, they try to think like, oh, you can't do this. You can't do this. But they immediately start fucking. Well, well, here's the thing in the movie. The time, they've already t- changed time because they find the sarcophagus of the. The man Merrick. and woman that are holding it, but they don't know it's Merrick. But it ends up being Merrick. so they already changed it. Exactly. It so already to happened. me, when I'm watching this movie, all I can think of is time is a constant. You can't change time. Right. If you go back in time, you were meant to go back in time. You were meant to do everything you did. Therefore, you can't really change it. Well, the uh, I, we're we're down a we're down a hole here. We're down a time travel. Here's time. the here's the thing with time travel though. Uh, no matter what you say, at some point there has to be a present. So, you know, like so, if there's time travel, are we in the present? Or are we in the past and the present is happening and the future has like, when is, is 2022 the time we are in right now considered the past because the actual present is 2075. Like, that's what I'm telling you. Like, so if you believe in time travel, then you believe that you live in the past because if time travel exists, then you, we are currently in the past. We are not in the present time. If time travel exists, time means nothing. I can understand that. Well, if you're thinking of time, like in quantum leap, you're thinking of time, like a, a, a circle, exactly. Like it's a loop. Upon a, I, I, it's yeah. already happens happening at the same time. So everything Sam does to fix so, stuff was already, but that's what you believe. Like so you, that. so you, what you're saying is you believe that time is not linear. It's nonlinear that all time is happening all at once at the same time. Yeah. So you can't really change time because it was already going to happen. It already right. has. But happened. if you believe that in time, tra- right now. but if you believe in time travel, can you also believe in the multiverse? Yes. Can you, how? Because we're traveling within our own universe. But if you go, but if you, if time travel is just going into other universes, which is what I thought this book said, you're going into another universe that's just close enough to ours that it looks like you're going. No, back in time. if time travel exists and we, if time travel is is a a, a, circ, a nonlinear, it's a circle. Every time someone goes back and changes time, they create a different multiverse. So maybe the fact that multiverse don't don't just exist because they exist, but they they were created by time travel. That's what. How about that? That's possible. Yeah. But it's also possible that if you go back in time and change something, it's always meant to happen because time is already set. But again, but I can't be changed because that loop is already connected. Well, here's the thing. If I think of time and I'm not saying I think I don't or not, but if I think of time as nonlinear, like you, like you say, uh, yes. But if I think of time as linear, then I'm going back, then I'm going back to the fact that that I'm going back to the point that Mm -hmm. we live in the past. If time travel exists, we have to live in the past. Right. Right. Because you have to change your, our present. Universe. Our present is the universe's past. That's why I'm saying if someone or I believe in linear time. Yes. Yeah. So what about timeline again? <laughs> <laughs> I think timeline sets up that you can't really change anything. I don't because know. otherwise they step on so many butterflies in this movie. It's ridiculous. No way any of this stuff would still work. They give them Greek fire, which, by the way. Greek fire. We still don't know how Greek fire is made, so you can't give somebody Greek fire because we still don't know. <laughs> hey, listen, we can read about it but when we don't Johnston the and Merrick are looking in the in the big tubs. They say everything's all here. So yeah. obviously they well, do all the ingredients <laughs> for this thing. We still don't know how they made, and we're still like, wait, water makes it worse. Like even now, scientists are like, maybe it's this, but they still don't know. I was actually right watching a documentary about Greek fire just a few months ago. It's like we still don't know how it's made, so there's no way he's making it, and he's an archaeologist, not a scientist. That takes a chemist. 
<laughs> I, I I really don't like that, which I believe is in the book. Too, yeah, well, it's, it's like, also yeah, yeah. it's not. I get like saying I can make Greek fire, but, but then he like, makes it. In but like minutes. you're assuming this isn't a uh, historical fiction document. This is like a movie. This but is it's like a Michael Crichton movie, and I expect more from a thing by Michael. Uh, well, it's a Michael Crichton film, but it doesn't mean that they. I mean, he obviously didn't like it. So can you really? <laughs> I mean, can you really hold his? Ability or his his work to a to a fire because of that. Yes, it's just not his Jurassic fault. Park is nothing like the novel, and yet he loves the movie, and so does everyone. Well, that's else. because Steven Spielberg is one of the best uh, storytellers of our generation. It's true. Fight it's me. Untrue. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's. I guess let's get into the film. Uh, I know that we just started talking about time travel, so apologies. I know you just complained about the time travel aspect. But let's just move that aside. We know how you feel. I like. Did movie. you like the film? I like this movie a lot more watching it now. That I did coming off of watching it in 2003 because it was very close to the release of the novel and the novel was fresh in my head as I watched this the novel came out in 1999. Yeah. And I was just like, this is not as good as the book I had read. Right. But now, you know, 20 years removed, I can't really remember the novel as well. And I'm thinking this isn't a bad movie. Right. But I think that was my thought back then. It's just. It's incomplete. And reading the notes about the movie, it. it it might be in it. And we might need the Richard Donner uh, mm-hmm. oh, time. All right. Well, let me get into so, that then. So here's the note I have. And you can cut me off as I, cause it's a big long note. So this movie was going to be released in the fall of 20, 2002. This movie was shot in uh, April to between April and July of 2002. Uh, but then Paramount pictures was not happy with the uh, Richard Donner's first cut. Um, and I think it was like two hours and 16 minutes. And uh, they want, cause it has a prologue explaining how, Billy Connolly's character, Professor Johnson, disappears. Here's my thing. Sure. After the year 2000, who's going up to Richard freaking Donner and going, nah, Dick, I'm sorry. We don't like your cut. That's Richard Donner. Paramount Pictures, man. Come on, Paramount. I don't know. I I mean. That's Richard Donner. Yeah, but it's Richard Donner when it's Richard Donner. What? All lethal weapons. All four lethal weapons. Yeah, but those are movies are Superman's those movies out. are eighties. Like they're like maybe ten years removed from Donner. All lethal weapon four is not. Well, Richard Donner's. I'd have to look at his filmography, but I mean, maybe he wasn't. I just don't think. I gotta. I, I, you fucking what, do this. You done? do this to me all the time, and what then I don't. Like right, I right don't right have right. his fucking. He's still Richard Donner. I mean, I don't know. I don't have his. I am to be right. There's up. people that don't like Steven Spielberg. I mean, I mean studios, but I mean studios aren't coming up to Spielberg and going, "You got to cut that, Steven." They're not trying to demand anything of Steven Spielberg. All right, so he comes out with, so let's see, timeline is two thousand three. The last movie he had done was five years earlier was Lethal Weapon four. Before that was Conspiracy Theory, Assassins, Maverick, and then Lethal Weapon three was nineteen ninety two. So I like Conspiracy Theory. I don't know how well it did. I didn't like Assassins. I love Maverick. I don't know how well it did. Maverick is great. Assassins, I liked back when I was a kid because it was Antonio Banderas and I think Sylvester Sloan, right? Right. Getting together and I thought that was cool, but it might be bad. Lethal Weapon 4 is good. 16 Blocks is pretty good. But that's after. But that's after. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, he's got good movies. He did the Ventriloquist Dummy from Tales of the Crypt, the TV series. That's the scariest episode of Tales from the Crypt. You also have to remember that he, okay, so at 2003, when he's doing this film, he's 73 years old. He's 72 years old. Oh, no, he old. was older, right. So, I mean, number one, they might be being like, you're not cool enough for the uh, cool just, uh, I don't know, maybe there is dicks. Anyways, back to, <laughs> back, back to the note. So, he then had, and I'll get to the, the, the score stuff initially. So, he recut it. The second cut he gave to the studio, they didn't like anyway. They didn't like as well. The, the note here is that Paramount didn't like it, particularly studio head Sherry Lansing was unhappy with the second cut. 
So because and he and he had eliminated the backstory that he said here that that I guess which was essential to the novel and and it was it would explain a lot of stuff. Then he had, he had to recut the movie again, which delayed the film. So we had a third cut. So it went from two sixteen to I think to one hundred sixteen minutes that we have now. Right. So you had uh, the prologue out of the movie, which kind of like confused everything. And the other thing with the film is that Jerry Goldsmith was the original composer for this film. And the Jerry Goldsmith original score for this film is not in this movie because it was timed to the prologue that left. So once that was cut, Goldsmith had, Goldsmith had to go in there and recut the his, his, his score again, but he couldn't do it because Jerry Goldsmith passes away in 2004 and he was ill yeah. during this film. So he couldn't do it. And he was working on another film for Joe Dante. He was doing the Looney Tunes back in action film because it was like uh, it was he's his good friends. Friend so that's what he's already he's moving on to something else. So then they brought Brian Tyler in to kind of do it all over. But if you find the timeline soundtrack or they released both scores diff- separately. Right. So you can hear the Goldsmith score compared to the Tyler score. But they completely changed the film on Richard Donner. So I'm not really ready to lay this at his feet. Not, not that I'm saying you were, but I just, I can't, when we have notes like this, where the movie's completely messed with by the studio. Oh, I understand. It's very that. difficult to be critical of the people involved because they really didn't have control of what was happening. I get that. And I think that could be a huge part of what it is. Right. I just feel like this film is, a, which is what I thought when I saw it in 2003, it's a fun romp, but it's kind of forgettable that I think if they added more substance from the novel, it could have been better. Right. And clearly reading these notes now, it had a little bit more substance mm-hmm. that was lost to us. Well, the heart of the movie is Merrick. Is Gerard Butler's actually That's why I'm mad about the synopsis doesn't even list Merrick. No, Merrick he's clearly the heart Merrick of the movie. Merrick and Lady Claire are the two leads, yes. I, I believe. I understand why Paul Walker's character, Chris Johnson, is like is the kind of guy you focus on because he's he's, he's the every off the man. fast and fury, but he's all fast and furious. He's, he's a big hot time actor. But I did not you, you I did not as the kids say ship Chris and Kate. Yeah, I do not stand. I I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I just she I, I I don't I don't mean this in a dig because I don't I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of I had seen Francis O'Connor other stuff. I did, I don't know what it was in this film but I was not whatever it whatever direction she was getting or whatever however she was taking this character it was not clicking with me. I did not believe that she would fall in love with Chris in, in this film. I just, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy any of it. Because you're told at the beginning of the movie that it's not going to work out between them. And you're kind of shown it's not going to work out. And yet, she's just shown to care for him for no reason. It just happens. Chris doesn't earn it. And it never appears naturally. It just, like you said, happens when they go back in time. And I know that you don't want to do this in the film because then you have to explain it. But like, it's just so like, these guys don't speak English. These guys speak an American in an English you've never heard before. That's my whole thing is, even when they bring Francois back because he speaks French, which was stupid to bring him back. You need to explain that he speaks medieval French. Right. Have you tried to read like even Le Morte Arthur, which I love that book is all King Arthur. It's middle English from later than this movie. Yeah. I think that was made in the 1500s. It's hard to read. But also with what I said, it was stupid is like Merrick should know that if you know that this is the, during the Hundred Years' War and you know that the English and French are fighting, why would you bring back somebody that can speak French in an English-occupied area knowing that once they hear him, yeah. he's, it's going to be a death sentence? So you, why would you insist on bringing him there? That was my you? whole thing. Like, Mary gets mad. You brought us right at the Battle of Castle Rock? Regardless, Castle Guard. Castle Guard. <laughs> right at the Battle of Castle Guard. It's still 10 years into the Hundred Years' War. It's dangerous to be there. Right. 
uh, and act, you know, like you said, not as an Englishman. But they, I don't understand how he didn't. They knew they were going back to 1357. He said that to him. We sent them, but he's back. We only have a wormhole to one fixed well, location. Well, you don't know if it's before. You don't know if it's before the battle or after the but battle. They're but studying, they're studying. They're studying no, that. They, still they know, know the all about it. On. Right. So they know the year that the war was happening. So he knew that they were going there. I agree. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. And nobody should be speaking okay. I, I would have preferred something a little more. And no one cares about Paul Walker or uh, Kate's accent, like or Chris or Kate's accent. Like it's never brought up. Like, it's never. Yeah. What, what are you speaking? Like yeah. he's Scottish and he's French. What the hell are you? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, obviously they wouldn't know of the new world because it doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let I guess let me get into the differences between the movie and the books, then because one of those differences. I know the book does deal with the language. So one of the differences in the book in in 1357, people speak Occitane. Yeah, yeah, and Merrick is supposed in the book is fluent in it. That's why he goes back. They don't speak English. They don't speak French. Merrick in the book is far more. He's the lead from the movie. He's far more a the lead and b far more into what happened in the past. He's completely adept and ready to be living in the past he is not a man of the present at all yeah and in the book they can send objects and people to any location at any time obviously in the movie they can only send them to 1357 castle garden in the book markers couldn't could would like i said they would be given to unwanted people they send them to dialect pompeii in this one they just send them back home or they just complete go push them back and forth back and forth um in the book characters have high-tech translator devices in their ears so that's why they're able to understand everybody <laughs> but in the movie nope. nope they don't even tell you they don't even reference it they do it stargate style everyone <laughs> just speaks english for yeah reason. yeah in the book doniger is is darker he's uh he's more of an evil character in this film they try to make him that, at, they but he comes off like as a whiny little you know bitch. They they don't do a good. They try to make him part Richard Ham, part John Hammond from the book and part John Hammond from the novel. They uh, he's it, 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 un, unsuccessful. Yeah, he's not make him nice or make him mean. One or the other. And then he when he pushes Stephen Kramer down, played by Matt Craven, and he hits his head. It, the indication is first that oh my god he kills him. Or paralyzed him. But then he doesn't. He moves. He pushes the thing and he just lays there. And then you never see See him again. again. But you really didn't say like, like, oh, you hit my head really bad. I'm out of here. Like, I I didn't understand any of that. Don't understand why he goes at the end of the movie, goes into the the machine to pull. Well, I I, I don't know. He's like, going to unplug it. Just like, oh, screw it. We're not yeah, doing this. It's project. like, let's get him in here so that we can send him back in time to be killed. Because that's what happens in the movie. The way he gets killed in the book is so much better. Well, in the movie, he they send him. He gets as Chris and Kate and the Professor Johnson are coming back. They apparently once when you're if you're in there and somebody's coming back, you're going to you go, go regardless back. what. Uh, and they dub that line, the ADR, that line in there when he says, "I don't have a marker" because his lips aren't. Oh moving. yeah. <laughs> so then he goes back there and then he gets his head chopped off because horsemen were chasing the guys and whatever. They were Chris's brother, his head. In the yep. book. They, he is sent to Castle Guard during the Black Plague and he like finds a bunch of dead bodies and like the way the chapter ends, he just starts coughing. So you obviously figure out he's going to die from the plague. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is obviously a better way to die. Yeah, it, so there, obviously there's always difference between the books and movies when they do adaptations. Right. And this one, obviously, there's some stuff you kind of wished you don't you didn't want to not see in the movie. Doniger being a dick toward the end doesn't make sense when the beginning he seems all right. It makes sense when it's like for plot sake. You know, like, oh, for plot, he he needs to start being the bad guy and being a jerk. But he, yeah. No, I'm saying like, it doesn't make sense oh, character wise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For plot, though, the fact that the grenade blows up the fax machine 
for better, for better worse I, word. That, you know what? Yeah. So in the movie, <laughs> so, so in this film, they set up the whole thing where, oh, we're going to go back and these are my two best Marines that, you know, they've been on trips. They're, okay. We're, they're going to, we know what you think. Okay. Can't bring anything with us from the future. Can't bring anything with us from the present. Can't do it. One can't do it. Can't do it. And then they go back there. So not only, not only that, not only does one of the Marines, as he gets shot, he, he, he pulls a grenade that he's going to throw at these guys on a horseback. Number one, you've already got shot. What the hell? <laughs> Why are we doing that? When don't, don't, don't you know the rules? You've been doing this, whatever. And then he comes back and that they do that for the ticking clock. It explodes the machine. Right. Fine. Not that. The other thing is like, so when they get there and they're in the woods and all of a sudden the English show up and they're like, everyone hide. The two Marines just are the keep two, running the are straight the two line. ones that act like crazy, <laughs> like don't know what the heck they're doing. And they just start running like, like lunatics and every, the people that are not trained in this are the ones to know to hide. I was like, what are you doing? Like that was, I just was like, what? He's got an error. I have to run in the straightest yeah. line possible. These are my two. These are two of my best Marines. They know. They know the ins and outs of everywhere we're going. They will protect you. Horses, run! And they just like, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it was, oh my God. Was, as soon as that happened, I was just like, oh, I forgot that. And I'm just like, <laughs> so basically we got to figure out a way to kill the more trained people off so that we can have people out of their element, but really are in their element survive. It was just dumb. Listen, you're all right because Merrick does not mind murdering people. Well, Merrick, they none of them had any problem. Like, like even when like Aunt Kate's when she was like, "I'll do what needs to be done." Because I, I love that too when she says to, uh, when she says to Chris, the worst thing than oh, living worse, here, worse the worst than thing dying to, here is living here. Yeah, she says the worst thing. Yeah, what is she? I have her line. I wrote it down. That's what it is. The worst thing. Yeah, one more. Yeah, the fate. The only fate worse than living here is or yeah. The here only thing worse than dying here, and that's living here, and I refuse to do that. And she says that right in front of Merrick, who you've already set up, loves the times, and like you know he's and he stands up staying, but like she says <laughs> it right in front of the guy that just loves the honor of the time and the chivalry. And it's like it's like, and he's just like, yeah, let's go. And he wouldn't be like, whoa, 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 oh, that's not that bad. <laughs> that's pretty bad. I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Merrick died at fifty something years old. He uh, died young. Because he was, but he had three kids. He was happy. He was uh, with his wife. He lived the life he wanted to live. Yeah, <laughs> the ripe old age of fifty-seven. <laughs> I would have been. I almost, and I they never did it, but I would almost like like one of the people to be his descendant, like you didn't know, like Ethan Embry character, one of okay. them. You know what I mean? Like that would have been interesting, but you know, whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. That's just something that I guess I want. I love his scene when he gets his ear chopped off. Oh, and when he, he I, that's, a, that? that's a really cool scene. And he doesn't, yes. he doesn't, he's the pain isn't like part of that. He's just like, oh, wow, it's me. Yeah. Woo, yeah. I get the girl. That, that was a, that <laughs> was like a really that, good yeah. moment. But that again, that's Gerard Butler having, he has a better character than Paul Walker does. And yeah. he, and, and his character has a complete arc. And Paul Walker's arc is just, I get the girl. I gotta get my dad back. Like, yeah, like, you get the girl. The girl no, just like, so no explanation as to why your father has a Scottish accent and you do not. Because they moved to Kansas for a year. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> come on. So I'm supposed to believe that Chris Johnson, Paul Walker's character, grew up in Kansas. He clearly grew up in California because he's clearly <laughs> a surfer, dude. What? No way. And they don't set up like he doesn't. That's the other thing. When he's at the dig. He's like there to visit. He's there to visit because he wants to see Kate because he likes Kate and that's why he hangs he's around. He's there every once in a while for like three weeks. And right. Leaves. But when the serious stuff starts to happen, like, oh, my God, we found this. We found this tunnel. 
He's there running over there, calling everybody. I got, I'm going to do this. Like you're dude, you don't run this. You're, you're visiting. You're not one of the people involved. Here. Nepotism. He's the dad. He gets to do whatever he wants. <laughs> is, he, oh, is he going to be in the movie with bubble too? Oh, I said it. I said it. Um, yeah, I, it's just, it's clearly Merrick's film. It's clearly his movie. I think if you focused on his, on him, if it, he was the focus, his movie might've been a little bit stronger. What? <laughs> I still can't get over the Marines running like babies. <laughs> I like when Neil McDonough finally like stops pretending like he cares about him. I don't give a shit about Merrick. Yeah. Uh, my job is to get the professor and get him home. I got the professor. Now we're getting home. You can come with me. Or you can't come with me. And then you find you find out later about th- that's the other thing. They they do have a, I guess a villain in this, which is Decker, right? And you find out that uh, what's McDonough's character's name again? Frank Gordon. You find out that Gordon left him there, right? And so that's why Gordon thought he was dead, so he left him. But, but they were going to go back and get him. But you get, but then you don't get that because Gordon, you get see Gordon running off trying to escape like frantically like he's panicking and he's panicking because he didn't even want to go in the first place maybe you because know? of this last that maybe that was the last mission but, but yeah but the other thing too is they set up this whole thing as you don't come back they set this whole thing up like you co- you don't come back complete you're a copy of a you're copy. copy of a copy I, and they're like oh this will be my last time i would think the first time is the last time because if you come back not complete you're dying well like how many times did they come back though like, they don't set that up. What's the limit? The first guy is clearly the worst of them. But they don't set that up. You're right. They don't right. set that up. But they never show you like this is what happens the first time. They just show you the last time. Well, what happens the first time? What doesn't come back? I mean, like if you're telling me like my veins are off, like, well, then that's a big deal. That's not going to. And then the professor who's an archaeologist. OK, that's his field. Yep. Throws the line out there. Oh, they, they've got, they can fix you at home with that. They can help. There's stuff we have to get back to the, our, our present because they can help you. How do you know that? You have no, you have no idea about that. I thought the same thing, but at the same time, that's a man panicking and just trying to make up an excuse to like, mm. just, just give us the marker so we can get everybody See, home. That to me is a rationalization that was probably used in the editing room when they were watching this scene and someone's like, <laughs> Hey Richard, how, how the heck does he know that? Uh, he, he would know it. He would know it. So that I understand what you're saying, but I can't buy that. I, that to me, that's not good enough. But my thing is how many copies is enough copies, but also if that last guy who you see, his hands are, per- the first guy who you see in the beginning when uh, the sergeant from Lethal Weapon almost hits them all, which I thought was a good cameo. <laughs> you know what's funny? <laughs> so as soon as I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, this is a Richard Donner film. Like I knew you it was knew, a Richard Donner film as soon as I saw that dude. <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as he uh, almost hits him, like that guy is, it's not just the wound in his, his hands are purple and bloated. Mm-hmm. Like he looks bad. Yeah. Uh, but uh, William DeCare or whatever his real name is, Decker, yeah. Decker, looks fine, acts fine, is a tough guy, is is in perfect health while he's fighting. It seems. Well, so is it like one copy too many? Is the is the well, limit to where you start? That's to the thing. Like bad? like as soon as you go to Castle Guard, like the first trip, shouldn't your stuff be already out of out of whack? Slightly, yeah. Right. So like maybe yeah. it's but ever ever so slightly, but I don't believe that. It's, See, they don't explain it. It's like one and done. Like. It's fine, fine, fine. Oh, you're dying. Right. Oh, purple hands and that bad. But but think of the whole movie in its totality. That whole idea of the copy of a copy, all that, the the medical uh, issues that you could have. Does that ever come into play? No, because right. they get back to the present. They go they back. Everything's fine. They don't have multiple trips. So that idea, the, that whole idea it doesn't, doesn't matter. Really, it doesn't matter. You don't need it. Because they're only going to get their father. 
Right. So it's not like they're ever going to be like, we're going to come back every other time. You don't need any of it. Like yeah. uh, the only time you use it is when they talk to Decker and he's like, oh, I can't go back. It's like, well, but you can, why do you, why do you need that? Why would, wouldn't, why wouldn't you just say, I don't want to go back. I'm a, I'm I've a been God here. Too here. Long. Yeah. I'm, I love I'm it here. Yeah. Why, why don't you have a guy love it there? But why? then why would he kill? Cause then you want the, then you want him to have that line when he kills Gordon. Well, I got a family, man. You've been to my house. You've been, you've, you've made my wife and kids. Well, changed, I had kids. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is he would change all of that. Oh, he would I change his yeah. motivation. I'm saying that's yeah. why they keep it and, and they don't. And the other thing, like, well, like the other line. thing at the end where I can't stand is when they kill Decker and he's like, don't let me die here. Wait, really? Bring me back. Why? What, what does that purpose serve? It's the, I don't, I didn't understand that either. I know I sound like really negative now to this movie. I generally don't mind this film, but when we drill down on it, eh. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that just bugs it, me. It's a fun watch that could have been. I mean, this is a Michael Crichton. This is a a phenomenal Michael Crichton novel. This mm -hmm. is like other than the Jurassic Park novel. This is like my favorite book of his. And, and it could have been something akin like the time travelers version of Jurassic Park if done a little bit better. And I feel like because we got kind of just a toned down action movie of the week version of it. That's why we're picking it apart. Mm -hmm. because well, there's so many ideas here that could be expanded upon and even without expanding the runtime too too much that could have made it so much better yeah it's also and we can get to later on when we talk about why it's forgotten it's not a thanksgiving film it's a summer movie it is absolutely a summer. it probably movie, would have done sure. better business in the summer just because hey what do you want to see let's go see timeline that's a yep. fun action romp it's not a it's not a thanksgiving movie it's just not it's the, the, right now i mean i guess it's really difficult to judge what what's a Thanksgiving film now, but typically it's usually a kid's film yep, or like a big time drama or a big time. It's not like a big time action film. It's no, not a fun not. action film. If you it's an action mean? film, it's got to be like a war film. That means if it's something. an action film, it better be damn good. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it better be a really good film. If you're if Paramount Pictures had this film after asked, telling Donner to cut it twice, didn't like it the first two times and they were just kind of like, eh, it's fine. Let's just put it out there shame on Paramount Pictures for thinking that this was going to do well over the Thanksgiving weekend because it is not that type of film. Nope. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah, it, that they probably did a disservice to that. And I'm sure we'll repeat that when we say why it's forgotten. <laughs> um, did you know, I have two Goonie notes for this movie. Ooh. One that has nothing to do with the film <laughs> okay. and one that's something I just learned from what were the notes? I, like, I had never known this before. Okay, okay, go for it. So the ripping off of the Goonies is when Billy Connolly goes, one more of those and we're history. When the they're shelling. Oh, the the, the, and the I'm trebuchets. like, you son of a bitch. You just stole from your own movie. You don't think we're going to all know that that's from, <laughs> that's from the Goonies? Uh, but the other thing is like, do you know the reference uh, with Jurassic Park and the Goonies? No. The character of Nedry is dressed in the honor of the Goonies. His Hawaiian shirt is supposed to be chunk. His gray jacket is mouth. And the yellow raincoat that he wears is Mikey. Oh, snap. I mean, I'm like, I read that and I'm like, I never knew that. Okay. I mean, now think about it. Think about that's how he's awesome. Right? He's definitely chunk for sure. Yeah. And that's because Spielberg and Donna were big time friends. Yeah. And he did that because obviously Spielberg produced that film. And Donna, I think Donna produced them as well. No, he directed it. I think he directed, he directed games, it. Right? Yeah. yeah. But like they were big time friends and, and he dressed, they dressed Nedry like that in honor of the Goonies. That's awesome. I mean, like I never knew that. Never knew that. That's ridiculously fantastic of a, of a, of a note. That's cool. Like, right. Like now I want to go watch Jurassic Park and just be like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dotson, Dotson. We got Dotson. Yeah, nobody, nobody cares. Nobody cares. But yeah. No so, 
all out the JP fans out there and Goonies fans, check that out, watch sure. it, and then you'll see that you'll see some Goonies in Jurassic Park. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, speaking of Spielberg, he was in the running to direct this film. Did you see that? I was like, I would have loved it. I don't think that was legit, though. I mean, he probably <laughs> said the run, back then he was probably in the running to direct a million. Films. Well, I probably was like, do you want to do this? And he probably was like, nah, I'm good. Let Richard yeah. do it. Let Dick do it or whatever his name. I don't know if he called him Dick if that was a shortcut. Oh, I don't know. But yeah, like. Oh, on. no, I take it back. That's a bad note. I'm sorry. That's wrong. Richard Donner was in a bidding war for Jurassic Park. Right. Yeah. That's what it was. Which. um, Yeah. No. I'm glad. But yeah. That would have been not good. Let's talk about some reviews. Yeah, see if you agree with these reviews. Sure. I know it's got a 13% of Rotten Tomatoes. I don't give a shit about Rotten we'll Tomatoes. I, I don't agree or not. I don't care about. Well, it's an aggregate of reviews. So I'm sure, sure. you're going to be bad ones. And I don't care about so aggregates. Kirk Honeycutt of The Hollywood Reporter called this film glorious, so bad, it's good entertainment. Would you agree? No. It's not so bad, it's good, it's just okay. Right. It's watchable. Roger Ebert gave it two out of four and wrote that it was not so much about travel between the past and the present as about travel between two movie genres, namely a corporate thriller crossed with a medieval swashbuckler. No, yeah. there's not enough of that corporate stuff in there. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Robert Kohler of Variety wrote, lacks the consistent tone, pace, and point of view of for either a science fiction thriller or medieval war adventure. That I would maybe agree with. <laughs> uh, there is definitely a loss of consistency with the entirety of the film. But I, again, we talked about the note that, you know, the studio didn't like the cuts and they interfered right, and they changed things. So, the yeah, it's really difficult to really hold the creators accountable because they're just working with what they have in terms of the studio system exactly. and, and, and stuff like that. And I find it funny that again, Donner is screwed over, you know, because I've seen the Superman two Donner cut and I, I, I actually like it quite a bit. I prefer um, the, uh, the see, movie. I prefer, I, one of my things, I like Superman too. I do like Superman too, but one of my big things about it was it was a little hokey at times. It felt a little like corny. Well, I think a lot of the stuff in the second one is pretty bad though. Or the, the Donner cut. Donner cut I thought, why well, I, I liked the tone of the Donner cut. I liked the little bit more serious tone in it. See, I thought it made it more silly. No, I, I thought, thought some of the Lex Luthor stuff became more silly. No, the added the expended White House attack was sillier. No, the I, lack of her, uh, the the Z, uh, Zod's female companion killing the kid was cut out of it, which cuts out the seriousness of the situation. They take out the entire town uh, in the Donner cut, and that's yeah. all goofy. The character and the kid's not goofy. What kid? She kills a little boy who goes on to get the cops in the next town. And she takes the police siren and she throws it like a grenade and hits the kid. I don't remember that. And she murders a kid. Okay. I don't remember that. Are you sure you remember that right? I absolutely remember that. that is absolutely correct. And it's not know. in the Donner cut. I don't remember that. I don't remember the kid dying in that town one. He was just a boy and now he'll never be a man. Oh, okay, maybe. All right. I just don't remember it. But I no, I I like the Donner cut. I wasn't I was I super it. disappointed in the Donner cut personally. No, I think you're but whatever. I think that's your opinion. Your opinion's but, wrong, but that's, that's fine. My opinion's always wrong. When opinions are correct, my opinion's always wrong. Yep. <laughs> I think you're just being a contrarian for contrarian sake. Everybody likes the Donner cut. <laughs> uh but I think overall, I think you're right that I mean he's Richard Donner. I don't understand why you're he's 73 year old Richard like. Donner. I just I have to tell you, brother, when you get Steven's, older, how old is Steven Spielberg? When you get older, people don't give a shit about you anymore. I don't I'm sorry. And right I now. no, I know that. <laughs> I know that. When I get I know that as the older I get, people that are younger aren't gonna are gonna view me in terms of like what I believe in and what I say, and they're gonna already paint me with a brush. Your Logan's run light should be going off right now. I'm just saying it's bullshit. <laughs> it's like if you just sit, I mean, 
I wish I now to be fair, I probably I was probably like this 20 years ago as well. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, like it, you really should, you know, a lot of the older people have been around. They have experienced everything you haven't yet. And but but Hollywood, what's a young man's game? They don't they don't they they honor their tradition uh, on the face. But behind the scenes, it's like they don't give a shit. I mean, like, look at the way Hollywood is now with how it's, you know, movies are made. Like, who made that? I was listening to or watching. I can't remember who it was, but they just they just talked about how movies are made now. And they're made by like, you know, a, a, a corporate boardroom of 20 people and they put movies together. Oh, yeah, they're, sure. they're not they're not done by producer or studio. People in the studio are like, oh, this is a project. I believe in these guys. I believe in the people. Well, there's nothing like that anymore. So this is what you get. And I think this is probably the beginning of that because this is only 15, eight, 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. So the, I I think this is probably the beginning of all that type of Maybe. stuff. Maybe. What I find interesting is that Timeline has this lower Rotten Tomato score than the movie Morbius. I haven't seen Morbius. Morbius is so bad, and it's got a sixteen percent. I mean, come on, man. It's a but it's a, also a comic book superhero film, and you know that that much like horror films, those have diehard audiences attached to it. But these so you, aren't like this is the cinema but, score. This is the critic reviewers version. Oh well, then I don't I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know. I mean, I that's how low people's opinions are of film now. Well, you have to also remember that when, if I'm a reviewer now and I, I make my business reviewing films and I just started and I start watching older films, I, I look at them differently. I view them with a, in the lens of 2022, the, the, the Chris Johnson character is a creeper when he's like trying to like, oh, a, like, puts, hey, yeah. And he puts his arm around her. When yeah. Doing it's like really like, uncomfortable. Okay. She's like, you just got to give it up. Like now somebody watching it now who's really sensitive to that kind of stuff. They don't like that. It's like, but like, it's a different, you know what I mean? We, we joke that he's a creeper, but he, he's just like a, a, a lovesick puppy who doesn't get the hint. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's not in the movie. It's, I don't want to say harmless, but it's, you know, it's a little bit like, uh, all right, kid, come on, get the hint. She doesn't like you. Everyone's telling you she doesn't right. like you. But that's not done now. Like now it's just like, it's like, get out of here. You're kicked off this dig and stuff like that. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. So yeah. Anyways, um, I guess, I mean, you, I want to say you like it more than me. I don't know if I, I, I like the Merrick stuff. I like the Lady Claire stuff. I thought that stuff is good. I didn't terribly, I, I liked Michael Sheen in the film. I liked the, like the action in the medieval times was i love the arrows when they shoot the fire arrows against each other and they hit each other that 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 was was a nice yeah that was a nice moment cg for once my one note there is is um yeah it's like so (laughs) let's surprise them with some one one volley of night arrows and you're like all right retreat yes you you never thought that was gonna happen like give them night arrows give them like (laughs) that's obviously always going to happen Wait, arrows not on fire? Yeah. Oh man, back up! We can't and, see these. And then when they shoot, when they shoot the arrows, they and they cross over between each other, lighted arrows. And then the French put down their shields to to, to block being hit. Yeah. There's one dude in the middle with no shield, and he's just like, "What? Like, <laughs> dude, you're gonna get hit!" Damn. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that that was that made me laugh. And he does get hit with the night arrow. <laughs> um, yeah, I know that's right. Night arrows retreat. The night arrows take out some of the guys with shields too, which I didn't get. We didn't expect the arrows <laughs> to be shot without being lit. <laughs> Look at this Greek fire that shoots once. Yeah, and they only use it one time. He had like four cannons, and he was, and, he and they once. were filling sacks of spears with night arrows, and I'm thinking to myself. What are you doing with those? Like, <laughs> what, what, what are you doing those hand to hand combat? And you only fired one. Yep. I, 
Brilliant. How many more men do you need? Uh, what do you mean? You need 20, 20 got, more men for what? We got a couple of spears. There. You got more spears. <laughs> you only made one. <laughs> oh man. They kept saying trebuchet like constantly to the point where they were, they had the wide shot of the, of the battle. And they're all yelling. And I just hear one dude, yell, trebuchet, like just <laughs> yelling it randomly. We need trebuchet said just every keep, five minutes. Listen, I've got this awesome, awesome uh, fighting mechanism, but I need a really weird name so that we could just keep saying it. Something <laughs> with three or four syllables, if you please. Yes. Okay. Thank you. What a trebuchet. What if they use trebuchets? I like trebuchets. <laughs> trebuchets are pretty cool. I love trebuchets. They're the best. They're the best trebuchets. <laughs> There's a timeline commercial right there. Oh, trebuchet. Trebuchet. <laughs> trebuchet! <laughs> the constant. <laughs> so would you have liked this if Pierce Brosnan played Merrick? You know, I read that note. Because he, he turned down the role before they offered it to Butler. And I don't. No, I don't think so. I think Merrick should be a younger person's role. And I think Pierce Brosnan even then would have been a little too old for it. A little too experienced. 2003. When did he start doing Goldeneye? Goldeneye is like 95. Yeah, you're right. You would have been too old for that. I, I like it being Gerard Butler's role. Lady Claire would have been older. Yeah, which wouldn't have made sense then. Pierce Brosnan working under Billy Connolly. Well, yeah, I think it changes the, the dynamic changes of the who's dynamic in it. Yeah, no, yeah, I hear you. Um, but I, I don't think he would have done a bad job, but I also don't think he would have had that enthusiastic vigor that, you know, a younger man like Gerard Butler's character would have had. So it changes the character as well. He probably would have used his Irish accent. Because I mean, he wouldn't been unless he wouldn't have been able to. Well, no, I guess they probably wrote in the Scottish thing, because that's why the English were okay with him. Well, he could have said he was. Irish yeah, he too. could have used his English accent, but he could have had an English accent. I mean, the Scottish weren't fans of the English. The English weren't fans of the, the Scottish. So yeah, I mean, no one was really a fan of the English. So either accent would have worked. Right? Did you see the note that um, because they shot this in Quebec. They shot all the French 14th century scenes in Quebec that some of the soldiers' shields had the Quebec flag painted on them. Oh, I did not so that. it was just like, <laughs> that's not right. So, but like, I mean, like now, I, even if I watched it now, I wouldn't know. I'd have to look up the flag and see, see where it was. Would, yeah. Before, so, I mean, yeah. I, I, they probably figured like no one's going to pay attention, which nobody paid attention. No one cares about Quebec. <laughs> What's up? No one cares about Quebec. So why do you think it's forgotten? Uh, it's a forgettable action film that kind of died out because it's a forgettable action film. I think the release date. I think if it's, yeah, November, it's a summer film. Mm -hmm. uh, it was meddled with by the studio to mm -hmm. lessen it. I think there are pieces in there that are great. I think it's an enjoyable watch, but I don't think it's a, it's not a watch that's necessary. If you're looking for a Michael Crichton film, why don't you watch Jurassic Park? I mean, basically. Well, that's what they're that's what they're trying to go for because Jurassic Park was such a hit. Okay, right. Crichton, let's get all his books. They, they did, did Sphere, they did Congo, yeah. they did this one. I'm trying to think what what other ones did they do? Obviously, they did Westworld. Uh, he started he started writing scripts too. Right, the film Westworld way back was was in the 70s. But, but you also remember yeah, he also Coma. did Coma. He did the movie Coma with Michael Douglas, which was in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So I mean, he's done. Andromeda Strain, they did. They've done. They, Crichton's been around. For, he wrote for ER, the TV show. Yeah, well, ER's based on his life, or yeah. briefly. Um, so I, th I think he was just probably hot, and they were probably just picking up all his uh, his movie, his books right. and stuff like that, his properties. I think coupled with the meddling, like you said, by the studio and the and the complaints, I think also the release date did not help them. I would also like, I'd also add, I was going to say, I also like that. I'd also add that while I understand why Paul Walker's in this film because of his, his name and how he was, he was hot. I don't think he's, I think he was miscast. I don't think he, I, I don't think he should have been in the film. Yep. I don't think even then though. So he's miscast. 
primarily because he shouldn't have been a big. It, it should have. He should have been a small. Maybe uh, not a big. Merrick should have been more. In the Merrick's role. the lead. So yeah, I think putting somebody who's who's obviously star on the rise, like is headlining films. He's from the Fast and Furious franchise. He's already. It's not as big as it is now, but it is still right. big. I think if you put somebody in there that's more of a supporting character, then you can make Merrick the lead. Maybe Gerard Butler doesn't get the Merrick role. Whatever. That's another debatable subject. But you know, if if it's a bigger role, but he could have had a bigger role in the cut. No, I, true. So, I just I think that Walker's the the character of Chris Johnson is boring is and is not a great is not a great expanded, character yeah. to focus on. And Paul Walker being in that doesn't help. Not that he's bad. It's just that it's not a good fit. It's he's not a good fit in the no, film. He's not, especially if he's meant to be the the emotional center of the movie. He's let's be honest. He's a California surfer dude, and that's what he can play. I I think he's pigeonholed in what he is. Uh well, but like I love him in Pleasantville. I think he's great in Pleasantville. I think I like as a jock. Dude. He's no, nah, but he's very he's very personable. He's very charismatic on screen. He's sure, yeah. But he but that's the thing though. Also, you have to credit the the roles that he chooses. Or that he chose, they have pardon to kind of me. Match him, and he know he knew that. Like I even I even watched the the one he did where it was well, a couple years before he passed away was where he was. It was during the hurricane that drenched New Orleans. I can't remember the name of the. That's, that's, and he was like trying to get his wife was pregnant or something like that. He was in a hospital and it was like no power. It was like a, a thriller kind of movie. The hurricane was Katrina. Uh, there you go. I, God, <laughs> remember, just don't remember names anymore. I remember that. And it was, it was not a big release. It was like a small, but he was good in that. And like, I think he, he, he chose roles correctly. I just think with this one, maybe, you know what, maybe when he, when he chose a role and, he, and the original script and they did it, it was a much different film and maybe a lot of his stuff got cut too. So, but again, I don't blame it. I just, I think that doesn't help as well. And plus also people are probably coming into this film expecting action like fast and furious action when they come in and see timeline with him in there. I mean, cause like his, his, his big time, his stars attached to that franchise. So you're pulling people from that franchise to go to this franchise and you're not getting the same. And you're, you're having them be like, Hey, check it out. It's medieval times. I just like, it's just different. Why are you giving me that face? Okay. No I'm one can, the people see, that no one can in, see your face. I'm thinking the people that go into the film should know it's a medieval times movie. Though. Like you should know that's really? the action you're going to get are so, medieval times. So you're telling me that the reason why they do big head posters is invalid because the whole reason they do big head posters is like, oh, Harrison Ford's in that movie. I'm going to go see it. I don't care what it's about. It's a Harrison Ford film. That's what people do. They see it is a big head poster. Sure. But I don't think that's a majority of your audience. I don't think that's going to affect time. That's not going to make a break timeline. People going in, going, I, oh shit, it's medieval time. I, I'm saying that added to it. That's like the sure. third thing I said yeah. in addition to the release yeah. date and the movie. I'm, I don't think that's a huge part of it. I'm not throwing it across your desk for approval. I'm just telling you my opinion, <laughs> okay? You don't have to tell me yes opinion, or no. And your opinion is wrong. Well, that's because you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenEntertainment.com or ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com where we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Uh, check out all the other great stuff we got going on there. Uh, we're also on the YouTubes, the Spotify's, the Google Play's, like us, rate us, subscribe us. It all helps to help us podcast grow. Uh, join us in Forgotten Cinemas, the lobby, where you can tell us how bad you hate the timeline. Because uh, I know uh, we've already know a couple people that don't like. I only know one person. Yeah. Who else? Someone else? Elise. She's all right. Did she even see it? She has seen it before. Yeah. yeah. She she said as I was watching it because she watched me watch it today a little bit. She's like, I forgot to make people were in this movie. And I go, yeah. When you think Embry appears, it's like, oh, this movie is definitely made in the early two thousands. He's hot. Ethan Embry's hot. Yeah, Ethan Embry's everything back then. Uh, but yeah, 
But he's like, he's like, like I put in like he's in Frankie and what's it called? Grace and Frankie. He's on like the whole series run. He's been in all 80 episodes. So he's working. Good for you, Ethan. Good for you. <laughs> Get in more stuff. I like your, I like your work. Uh, join us next week. Uh, we're going to the 80s. 1983, we're going to be doing the Lawrence Kasdan film, The Big Chill. Did you see this film? I have never seen this film. I know it's super popular. I know I yeah. should see this film. I know he wrote uh, the Indiana Jones films and Empire Strikes Back. I know of Lawrence Kasdan. You, you know of Lawrence Kasdan, but you've never <laughs> seen a Lawrence Kasdan film? I uh, No, we've done a Lawrence Kasdan film on this podcast, haven't we? I can't remember. I'm pretty Are sure you... we did. I'd have to go back. I don't want to look for it now. But... All right. Let us know. Have I just haven't Lawrence seen film? The Big Chill. Well, we're doing The Big Chill. It starts Kevin Klein, Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, young Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, who just recently passed away. So that's that's sad. Yep. Lots of people in this. Lots of up and coming. I don't know if they're up and coming. Tom Berenger's in this too. I don't know if they were up and coming then, but I think they're all big. And obviously there's someone else in it that's not in it, but he's in it, but he's not in it, but he's in it. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, really? Well, I'll save it for, we'll save it for the podcast. Don't, don't, <laughs> you'll probably catch it in the notes, but okay. I, I won't bring it up now. All right. So that's next week. Uh, until then, have a great week, everybody. I am Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. Oh, my name is Andrew Morgan. My name is Shane Beauregard. And my name is Chris Ferdell. And together we form like Voltron to make a brand new entertainment and pop culture podcast called Recent Activity. Every Wednesday we will bring you deep dive reviews of the hottest titles from around the film and TV world, previews of the next big things to add to your watch list, or do fun things like top five lists, movie drafts, or anniversary celebrations of your favorite classic films. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Starting May the 11th.